0: It's very important to curatage your sockets. So I'd removed the lower left six with a very large abscess underneath it. So I was curettaging away all this, um, all the tissue and everything that was left behind. Everything was going really well. I was very pleased with myself. I was 20 minutes ahead on my diary and until I noticed a little pumping and spiriting coming from the base of the socket. And what had happened was by, after curataging, I'd hit an accessory vessel uh, that had it found its way uh, superiorly into the socket. And, and this wasn't just a little ooze bleed. This was actually like an arterial bleed from an accessory vessel. Now, when I saw that, there's, there's a few different ways you can manage this. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati.
1: Hello, Protrusorati. I'm Jazz Gulati, and this was such a geeky chat about extractions. Like recently we had a geeky chat on onlays with Dr. Ash Lifts and she was brilliant. And Dr. Amir Alibokas today covers real world exodontia. Like imagine you have a bleeder. What are the best ways to manage a bleeder both in the short term and in the long term. And unlike all the papers we read or all the other lectures we go to about this, we actually go straight for the kill. Like what I mean is all the information that you could gain from guidelines. Like there are some guidelines in the UK, there are guidelines all around the world basically wherever you practice about how we should manage patients who are high risk of bleeding. Now I didn't feel as though it was worth your time to just revise all the guidelines because you guys can just easily pick up the guidelines and read them. So. The kind of scenarios we discuss are the ones whereby you've done all the medical history checks, you've done all the medicine check, and you've got a normal bleeding risk patient, yet they still bleed afterwards. Or they call you eight hours later and they say they're having a bit of a bleed. How do you manage those scenarios? And then much, much more. We just really go in deep into all the facets of exodontia. The Protrusive Dental Pearl is very relevant to exodontia and something that we actually discussed in this episode. It's about having a plan. So for example, for a crown prep, you might have a plan that looks like this. I just from the top of my head. I haven't written this down. So it's like a medical history check, consent procedure, give LA, take a putty impression so that you can make a temporary crown afterwards, remove all the old restoration carries, build your foundational core restoration, then do the occlusal reduction interproximal reduction, create a chamfer or if you're getting shoulders like I do nowadays no shoulder but a shoulderless preparation all the way around, etc, etc, etc. Like you have a step by step plan and sometimes like hey, if I have lots of bleeding from the gingival sulcus, I will use this retraction cord. However, if I don't have much bleeding, I will use this technique. And if I have this issue, I will take a scan. If I have that issue, I might take an impression you see there is a plan but then you account for well if this happens then I'll go in this direction and if this complication happens I'll manage like this and actually sometimes there's too much bleeding and you decide that you stick on a temporary crown and that initial plan of taking an impression is no longer valid so you have to be able to ready to change your plan so it's the same with extractions. So just like that, with extractions, we should also have a plan. So for example, you've done all the medical history, consent, uh, you've given your LA, what type of LA will you give for this patient? And then you go in with, okay, I'm going to start with luxating uh, and then I'm going to start elevating. And if I see some movement, then I'll continue. But if I don't see any movement, I'm going to start sectioning. I'm going to section uh, in this place and that place. Now, if I mess up my section, here's how I'll recover it. Which root will I remove first? And then if a bit more of the crown breaks, how will I retrieve that? At what point will I raise a flap and remove some bone? if required. So just like that, having a plan really helps your extractions. It's something I never really appreciated. But it's actually so important, kind of coming from a restorative background. Now just before we join the main episode of Amir, I, I am letting you know that around about 10-15 minutes time, I will be playing a ad for a fundraiser. As some of you might have seen on my Instagram, I'm raising money for a little girl called Nafisa. She's one year old. Uh, and she's the daughter of a producerati, a dentist just like you. And she suffers with SMA type one, now, I'm going to go into it in detail. But please, if you can support this fundraiser, it would really mean a lot. And if you're not in a position to support it financially, would you consider please sharing it? Okay, so the best place to share it would be for my Instagram. I put all the show links below. But that is coming. I really, really want to help Sakina and her daughter. So please do stay tuned for that. Oh, and by the way, the first part of this podcast, we discuss our journeys, our growth, our failures, and talk about career decisions. So I hope you enjoy that. But if you're here for the bleeding complications, then I would probably just skip to minute 15, because that's when we start talking about bleeding complications. Either way, I hope you get what you want from this episode. Dr. Amir Alibakis, welcome to the Protrusive Dental podcast. How are you, my friend?
0: I'm great, Jez. It's, uh, It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, it's, it's nice to reconnect with you. I remember you from like yeah. back in the dental school days, like over, over yep. 10 years ago, uh, and it's nice to go full circle. Uh, what have you been up to, man? Like, you know, where are you now? And what was your journey in the last 10 years or
0: so like? Okay, I'll try to summarize it as quickly as I can. Yeah, so I, I studied at Birmingham, graduated, DF1, and then I just fell into the MaxFax oral surgery uh, world, and I existed there for three or four years. I worked at Eastman, Great Ormond Street, UCL, Queen Elizabeth, and then I found myself in an interesting position. Uh, I started locuming and I was, I was working at the Royal Cornwall Hospital as an SHO. And through circumstances, I'm, I'm not gonna go into, uh, they ended up without a staff grade. And they, I've always been passionate about oral surgery and you know we can talk about that as well. But um, they just said, we don't have a staff grade, you're pretty good, do you wanna do it? I was like, okay. And at the time I was just being thrown in the deep end. I had my own GA list. Wow. my own sedation lists. And I was uh, three years out at this point. <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, I'm leading who checklists and things and running GA lists. And luckily I had, I had good support from the consultants and I learned from some fantastic people and they always had my back. I didn't have to call them that often, but it was nice knowing that I had that support. And that's where I really cut my teeth in oral surgery, so to speak, pun intended. Uh, and, um, and on top of that, I was then training DCTs because th- it was a training hospital as well. So, um, and you learn a lot when you teach people, so you have to go and research and, and find out what you're actually talking about. So, uh.
1: It's a taxonomy of learning, isn't it? The Bloom's taxonomy of learning, the highest is when you're having to teach the stuff, then you know you've got to pick it up a grade or two. So that's good. And then where have you been in the last couple of years then?
0: Yeah. So after that fellowship leadership program uh, under Jason Wong, amazing seeing behind the scenes of how everything's run. And he's doing a great job as interim, and hopefully he'll stay on and uh, work things for us from the inside, which would be great. Then I um, joined uh, UK Sedation. So I think you've had someone on the podcast before, Roy Bennett. um, Yes. On a sedation podcast, really good. So I work with him and Rob, and that led me into this kind of visiting dentist role, uh, where I visit as a sedationist, and I also visit practices and performing oral surgery. So treating anxious patients, extracting complicated teeth, uh, dealing with patients with complex medical histories. And amongst that I've spent some time teaching at Manchester Dental Hospital as well, supervising the students there. And yeah, now where I've landed is um basically Imos, visiting oral surgery, visiting sedation and mentoring as well. So I have a lot of people who want to learn oral surgery and uh, I mean I'm not a professor of oral surgery, but when it comes to, you know, GDP exodontia, then I have a thing or two I can pass on and um, and I'm always learning as well because I'm teaching. So it's great. And I work with a lot of great consultants who are constantly teaching me. So it's the circle of life in, in our profession, I guess. And that's where we are now.
1: Amazing. Uh, and, and, and just so, you know, just so we get some inspiration from, from your position, you, you're not on the specialist list, right, for oral surgery, are you? No,
0: no. Yeah. I had my heart set on it, but um, life happened and it didn't work out that way. It's got to the point now where I'd love to be a specialist, but um, I'm, w- I'm what you call a dentist with a special interest or a specialty mm-hmm. doctor uh, in oral surgery. And t- to be honest, I'm through the work I've done and through the sedation, seeing all these amazing surgeons in different practices, it's really opened my eyes to other specialties. So specialty isn't off the uh, table, but I don't think it'll be oral surgery. I think it's probably going to be something I'm less experienced in, so I get more out of the training. But that's a whole other conversation.
1: Okay, brilliant. Well, uh, you know that's in- inspiring in a way because you you said that you had your heart set on it. And I had my heart set mm. on restorative specialist for, for the longest mm. time. I said, I would definitely want to be a restorative specialist. And then when I experienced hospital dentistry and I and I compared it to the private world, and, and this has nothing to do with finances. It's purely the pace of work. And I, and I asked mm. myself, what is it that I really want? out of this training position. And I just wanted to be able to do transformative, rehabilitative yeah. dentistry. I wanted to be able to treat tooth wear cases. I mm. wanted to be able to do restorative dentistry at a really high standard. And mm-hmm. I realized that actually, I didn't have to go through all this training to be able to do that. And I, and I look at you and I, you see, you know, and, I'm, and I'm not playing words in your mouth, so please correct me, but a lot of the people I speak to are aspiring oral surgeons, they just want to be able to, take out teeth like amazingly wisdom teeth and feel competent and and, and not feel uh, you know with with flaps and yeah. uh, exodontia and, and and do a great job with that not everyone wants to do all the the niche things within oral surgery it's a bit like restorative specialist you know not everyone wants to do the obturators for oral cancers and stuff mm. and, and that kind of stuff. Those mm. who do, they're saints and they're amazing. We need those people, yep. right? So did you, do you now feel as though that if you were to speak to a younger colleague who has their heart set on oral surgery uh, specialty, you know, what advice would you give them in terms of what is it you actually want from that desire?
0: I think you have to, the way I always explain it to people is uh, if a bunch of aliens visited the planet and they were like, right, what do you do? And it's, uh, well, I'm a dentist who's really good at taking out teeth. And what do you do? I'm an oral surgeon. So, what's the difference when it comes to exodontia, so there's an asterisk there. I think people get really bogged down with titles and waiting for an institution to rubber stamp you, but at the end of the day, oral surgery is about doing. And some of the best surgeons I work with are not oral surgeons. Now, having said that, the best surgeons I've ever worked with are MaxVac surgeons, certain MaxVac surgeons. (laughs) So I have the utmost respect for specialists and oral surgeons. I've worked with a lot of amazing oral surgeons who I sedate for and beyond exodontia they will they'll do the cysts and the the uh, BIMAX osteotomies and things like that you know the really advanced stuff and i think what's happening in our profession and you'll notice that with the dental therapists as well we're increasing the scope of practice for a lot of members of our team and as dentists we're evolving into those what we used to look at as specialist roles so taking out a horizontally impacted wisdom tooth doesn't have to be the realm of the oral surgeon anymore that can be the realm of the dentist who spent a lot of time training in oral surgery and that allows the specialist more time to focus on those larger cases and those more complex cases because...
1: It impacted canines, another one, right? Exposing canines and stuff for GA list Even
0: mm-hmm. exposing canines, you know, and extracting ectopic canines, if you have a good mentor you can learn to do that and it can be within your scope of competence as a GDP. Mm-hmm. There might be a lot of oral surgeons watching this screaming at the computer right there saying no it's not, but honestly it, at the end of the day it's doing. It's getting your hands dirty and it, it's just doing the cases with a mentor who can give you some feedback and guide you. But what I'd say to young dentists is if you want to do oral surgery, do oral surgery. Don't wait for someone to give you permission to do oral surgery. Do it with a mentor or have a backup plan in case it doesn't quite go the way you want it to. But just do it is, uh, is my advice.
1: Great advice there in terms of getting stuck in. My own personal experience with oral surgery was did uh, dental core training in oral surgery. And I watched and I saw a lot of surgery. It was like monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. And I had my hand held as I was doing. Mm. It was more watching mm-hmm. than doing, I'll be honest with you. So a lot of the doing I had to do at the edge of my comfort zone and growing yeah. and growing and growing and take a few calculated risks here and there mm-hmm. and some continuing education. So now I'm very good at cherry picking which surgical wisdom teeth I will mm. do. I'm very happy to do that as a, as a GDP. And most teeth I look at, and I can, I know they'll be tricky. But because of the ability to section and elevate and raise and not be afraid of raising a flap, as a GDP have so much confidence going into cases which would previously I'd be really scared of. And I know a lot of our Mm -hmm. colleagues are really scared when it comes to extra venture. They they kind of refer a lot of things which they should be taking out. And Mm -hmm. I think sectioning and elevating really gives you that uh, ability, that confidence to tackle teeth that otherwise you wouldn't be able to. Would you agree with what I'm saying here?
0: Yeah. I mean, what surprises me is, you know, you have people cutting crown after crown, and that's a very technically complex thing to do if you think about it, because you're working in in millimeters and you're working around occlusion and various other factors that you have to take into consideration. If you can cut a crown, you can section a molar. You know, it's much more blunt than a lot of the fine restorative work that people do. Now, having said that, What I, as an Imax practitioner, I'd say I get a lot of um, teeth that people have had to go at. And the problem I have with that is, first of all, it makes it a lot more difficult for me to extract, although it it keeps me on the edge of my game. Uh, But the other thing is it, it can traumatize the patient sometimes. So I've had patient, I had one patient who came in and We'd given the local anesthetic, but he'd had such a bad time with the previous extraction that he just didn't want to uh, carry on and and just got out of the chair and wanted to leave. And he's been rebooked to have it under sedation. So what I'd say is I think GDPs should be having a go and, and extracting teeth and learning, but try and find a colleague or a mentor who's happy to be in the room and be ready to come in if it doesn't quite go so well, or even just be there in the room with you. And that's how I learned and that's how um, GDPs can learn as well. And, you know, for my part, I'm always happy to come to practices and work with people who want to learn. And at the same time, I still shadow oral surgeons and I'll, procedures that I've done a thousand times, I'll still do it with them because I'll, I'll see a different technique or a different approach or a different way. Because I've worked around the country, I've got to see the, a, a variety of approaches for the same procedure. And it means that when I get stuck, I'm running through the options in my head. I'm running through the playbook and looking at how can I get myself out of this um, based on what I've seen in the past. So a lot of words salad, but the key points are find a mentor. Don't be afraid to take on challenging teeth, but just make sure that you have a backup plan. And that's uh, that's pretty much it.
1: I, I've spoken about this before, and I won't go too too much of it, but you know, on a theme of oral surgery episodes, you know, I remember being two years qualified and uh, attempting a lower first molar, uh coronating it, and I just couldn't get the roots out. And I felt, mm. embarrassingly, I had to l- let the patient go. And then and when I did it a second time, I had to quickly send it to my principal who was Five miles away and the patient had to drive 45 minutes there. And no, the, the, the the big lesson there was I just spoke to my principal, I was like, know, what did you do to get the tooth out? He said, It was easy, I just had to section the roots. And yeah. that stuck with me, right, so much, which is mm. why I bang on about mm. it so much. I was like, okay, I need to why why haven't I learned this? I need to learn this. And when I learned that, I haven't had those issues since. But what I would say, I completely echo what you're saying, mean, is that if you're a young dentist or just not experienced enough distractions as you would like to be not as confident as you would like to be please don't shy away from it take the calculated risk but please have someone next door prearrange, have that check hey you know what Thursday I've got a tricky one can you just make sure you're on standby to rescue me should I need rescuing that's the best way to grow and and i think oral surgery uh, you know would really benefit as a whole in terms of our, our our skill level if we just had those calculated risks with someone there to help us and mentor us it would be great so i to- totally echo what you're saying here mm-hmm. today though is about bleeders right yes. um <laughs> let, let's make it very cl- clinically relevant mm-hmm. as one does i mean we could go down and I, initially i was thinking should we talk about apixaban and warfarin and mm-hmm. what should we do if they're on aspirin and apixaban and that kind of stuff and you know what a lot of this stuff is on guidelines and i realized yeah. that the protrusorati are an instant. National audience all over the world, and the guidelines that we have in our little island might be different to what they have in a lot of other countries. So I was thinking, okay, maybe we save that to the end. Let's go real world, right? Literally, this happened to me the other day. Actually, this scenario I'm gonna say for scenario number two, and it happened to me the other day. We'll talk about that. Scenario number one is you take out a tooth, right? Let's say it's Mm -hmm. an upper molar. Okay, take it out. You know, for me, typically an upper molar, I just 80-90% chance I will be sectioning it and then removing it as atraumatically as possible. That's just what I do nowadays. Uh, interestingly, I'd just like to know from you is that do you just routinely go in and section, or do you just try and attempt forceps extraction first? <laughs>
0: uh, it depends how many patients I have on my list. <laughs> such, a uh, real <laughs> word, such a truthfully spoken answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm honest, man. I'm I, I telling how it is. It, and it depends what they want at, at the end of it. You know, like, if a patient wants an implant, then I'm going to do my— I'll always do my best to preserve the buccal plate and make sure there's a lot of bone left and be as atraumatic as possible— but, you know, if this is being added onto their acrylic denture, they're not that bothered. They don't want to be in the chair too long. They hate the sound of drilling and they just want the tooth out ASAP. Then I'll look safe, I'll get movement and I'll I'll uh, gently achieve mobility and, and uh, slowly lift that tooth out. But gold standard is just section the teeth if you can. Uh, but it's an analysis of the X-ray. You know, sometimes the roots aren't spread out enough to clearly section. You might end up making a mess if the roots are, are really close together. You fused might be better together. off look safe, fused them. Um, yeah, uh, better off just luxating and, and elevating out. So, you have to look at the pre-op X-ray and just decide: is it worth sectioning? Because uh, there's there's let me put it this way: there's not a hard and fast rule. You don't have to be dogmatic about this. You approach each case individually. But yeah, sectioning, if you can get good at sectioning, it just makes it that much easier and and just practice, practice, practice. And when you extract teeth, look at, just analyze the roots, look at them. I I still mess up my angles, you know, I'll, I'll go and section a tooth and sometimes I'll be a bit too distal. I wouldn't have got the angle quite right and I'll beat myself up about it. You're not gonna get it perfect every time. I don't. Oral surgeons don't. MaxVax consultants don't.
1: Hey guys, it's just Jazz interfering with a timely message. Me and Amir have just discussed the importance of sectioning and elevating, but so many dentists reach out to me saying, I need more help. Are there any courses that I can go on? And sometimes you want that knowledge now, then and there. You don't have to wait for the course. So, what I've done is recorded lots of extractions that I'm doing that demonstrate the through the loops view of sectioning. I'm going to call this sectioning school. It'll be kind of like the isolation library on the app, but it'll be video after video after video of exodontia, specifically sectioning roots. If you want to stay up to date with this, then join protrusive.app or hit the subscribe button below. So when it comes out, you will be first to know. Now to a more serious and kind of sad message, but I really need to hear and support. So over to the next message now. Producerati I'm very emotional right now and there's going to be like a little bit of an emotional plea so really you know listen out this is really really important I'm a father of two boys. One is age four and one is five months. And what I've learned as a father is you, you look for milestones, right? So when they're about four months, you start to look, okay, are they able to, to roll over? Are they able to turn around, roll over? And around about six months, you know, can they support their neck fully and can they sit up properly? And, and you look, and these are special moments as a, as a father, as a mother. And some of you listening, Patricia Rati, might be grandparents or some of you don't have children in your life yet. If you, if you want them, then something to look forward to, right? Now imagine you have a child who at four months is not rolling over yet and is not able to support their head very well and you get to six months and and still no rolling over and then you take him to the doctors and you find out that they have a rare disorder called spinal muscular atrophy, SMA. Now this doesn't affect my son who's five months old, Sihan. It, It affects a little girl called Nafisa. Now, Nafisa is a one-year-old girl in Tanzania. Now, what has this got anything to do with, with, with you guys? Well, she's the daughter of a protruserante, just like, you know, you guys listening right now. You listen to this podcast, you have a connection, we learn, we grow together. And it's amazing the community we've built. But Sakina is a dentist and we've been speaking by email for some years now. But just recently she emailed me asking for help out of desperation. Because Nafisa was, was born and di- well, she was diagnosed at six months with SMA, spinal muscular atrophy. And basically, there's a gene called the SMN1 gene. And basically, it means that she has a weakness in her muscles. Now, because of this missing gene, she's not able to feed or even b- breathe properly. And so sometimes she needs ventilation. Sometimes she needs to use a nebulizer. A lot of times they're aspirating because even the swallowing is affected. Now, there is a treatment possible for Nafisa. It's basically like this genetic therapy. And this genetic therapy is made by a company called Novartis. It's a Swiss-based company and it's quite popular in America and Europe. And basically, if this therapy is given to Nafisa before the age of two, there's a 90% chance that she's going to live a normal life, which is just amazing, the prospect of it. The problem is this therapy costs over 2 million US dollars. They've actually sent me the bills and the statements and stuff and I've seen it and it's quite crushing to, to, to see that because I'm putting myself in the shoes, like put yourself in the shoes of Nafisa and Moise, who's Nafisa's father, who's actually a doctor and he works many months in the US and then he comes home to Tanzania and he, he works in the US to make enough money to be able to keep the dream alive so that we can get this genetic therapy for Nafisa. If this genetic therapy isn't given to a child with SMA by the age of two, then what happens is atrophy takes place and it's not going to be successful. So guys, we need to raise money for Nafisa, right? Because I had a good think about it. And as a father, I'm putting myself in the shoes of Sakina and Moise. And if my child or if your child was affected by this rare genetic disorder and you suddenly had to raise, you know, two million pounds, two million dollars, whatever it might be wouldn't you find any way possible any means possible to try and raise this money and this is exactly what they're doing Tanzania is a third world country we're trying our best and can you believe it that even in this country they've raised over half a million dollars already so there is so much hope that we need to raise around about 1.3 million dollars in the next six to eight months to reach the goal to be able to help Nafisa and I know that's a lot of money. And, and, and you know, Sakina and Moise, they know that this is a lot of money. But if it was your child, wouldn't you be doing the same thing? And this is exactly why I'm coming to you guys, because I, I always imagine, I put myself in their position, like you know, if my child was diagnosed with this, I would be doing this exactly right now. I'd be pleading to you guys, can you help? Can everyone, can all the dentists listening to this, just club together and donate 10 bucks 50 bucks, 100 pounds, wherever you can. As a practice, do a fundraiser, do whatever you can because I truly believe and Sakina believes and Moise believes that for all the dentist club together, all the doctors club together, we'll make more than what's needed. We can have many more children. But for Nafisa, this this girl who's just so smiley and so innocent and her parents are so determined to help her and they've done such an amazing job so far. I really want to help them through this platform, through this community that we've built, Rati. that I really, really want you, I really need you to donate to this cause. So if you can spare any cash and donate, you can help Nafisa. We give her uh, ventilation via a BIPAP machine. We provide her suctioning. We provide her nebulizations. So you can imagine the stress that we are going through as uh, parents. She's taking care as a full-time mom now. And I don't want her her studies to go into waste because she's very passionate about being a dentist. If you are a parent, if you want to be a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you can just put yourselves in the shoes of these parents asking for money to help Nafisa, or if you just love learning from this podcast, even just for that reason, Could you just please go to the GoFundMe page and donate today. I would really love for the legacy of Protrusive Podcast to be that we club together as a community to help Nafisa. So please go to the GoFundMe page. I've actually made this page protrusive.co.uk forward slash Nafisa. That's N-A-F-I-S-A. That's her name. Okay. So if you go on her Instagram as well, it's smiles4Nafisa. Every episode I'm gonna keep you guys updated on how we're doing in terms of how much money we raise for Nafisa. At the moment of the time of recording, it's six just over six hundred thousand dollars raised. If this is just one thing you donate to this month, make it this one. That's protrusive.co.uk forward slash nafisa. Thank you so much, Petruserati.
0: So don't don't shy away from it. And it's it's not always gonna be perfect, but it's gonna make it. A hell of a lot easier if you get good at it. So um, it, it reminds yeah. me
1: of something I was taught as a DCT, which is—I mean, it sounds very routine to you I'm sure I mean, but mm. a lot of people listening, right? This, especially younger colleagues, this is a really good lesson. In oral surgery, I think, is like have a, a plan. I know it sounds really funny, and you're like, "Yes, I heard this one before." Like having a surgical plan, it, it, even when it comes to yeah. exodontia, is it, really important. Yeah. And I never appreciated it when someone when my an oral surgeon first taught me this, uh, guys. I was like, oh okay, usually I just start with the luxators and I see what happens I just make it up as I go <laughs> along and you know see which way the tooth's going and uh, you know you just you you're, you're running on adrenaline you're just figuring yeah. out what's the next move. But actually if you, you should actually go in with okay, I'm first going to try this. If this works I'll do B. If this doesn't work I'll do C, for example, right? Yeah, and so yeah. when you get good at sectioning, it actually opens up a whole new pathway to you. So for mm. example, uh, that case who suggested that, you know, if if it's part of the denture and uh, he doesn't they, they don't like the drilling and you're going to try and go four forceps only, only, but then if it was to fracture then because you can fall back on okay now i'm going to go on my plan b you can still do that efficiently right so it's really important to another reason to have that skill is that actually Mm. uh, there's only so much you can do with having just one skill set one way to to do things one way to skin a cat is not going to be enough there's many ways and we need to to explore them all and that's part of your growth in oral surgery so anyway you remove this tooth right (laughs) back on the bleeding you remove this (laughs) tooth and typically get get the gauze wet a bit Mm -hmm. and for i you know Mm -hmm. it's dental students i was taught to wet the gauze because i'm glad uh, you you said that yeah, yeah, good. Okay, I'm glad A you lot agree of as well. Don't. So, if you don't wet the gauze, okay, and then you take it out afterwards, the blood clot will will stick it. and it'll come yeah. out right, and that's like an yeah. instant dry socket, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it actually works like that, but okay, mm-hmm. Let, let's assume it is. So, yeah, let's wet the gauze. Let's sort of squeeze it, get the, 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 most of the moisture out. Get, get the patient to bite on it. We are not squeezing sockets. Oh, do we? Can we agree on that?
0: Yes. Now, I, I don't know where that came from, but when I was in dental school as well, they were, we'd take a tooth out and they'd be like, now squeeze the socket. Yeah, yeah I was taught that now, too.
1: What the hell was
0: up with that? Yeah, I'm <laughs> like, now I'm like, why would you do that? That's the worst <laughs> thing you could possibly do. But yeah, don't... Everybody stop squeezing your sockets, okay? <laughs> like, just yeah, let doing gauze. The, 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 that that it core out. buckle plate hasn't had enough damage, oh, so man. let's not, let's not yeah. be squeezing it, so fine. There must be that periodontists. Well. They're looking for work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, must be. So you've got the gauze in, right? And then typically, look, I, I, I like to think I'd give it two, three minutes. It probably ends up being a minute, right? In the real world, yeah. right? Because yeah. time and yeah. stuff, you know... I, I, if I ordered it, right, I'm sure it's probably, mm. it's probably a minute. It feels like five minutes, but it's probably a minute, two mm. minutes, right? And usually you take the gauze out and I have a look and I'm just observing and I, and I, and I do mm-hmm. my diligence here. you know for 15 20 seconds sometimes 30 seconds especially if their medical history is a bit funky I'm just watching OK, yep. and and it th- things are stable, happy days, give all the post-op instructions and off you go. But if you have someone who's just, you know, it's just filling up and, and bleeding still, just talk us through the the, the the management of that scenario and how that could potentially escalate and what should be our next steps.
0: The worst thing that uh, you can think is uh, it's probably fine. <laughs> so the, it's probably fine. The worst three words and uh, when it comes to post-op for oral surgery. If it's pooling and it's it's not like uh, jelly-like, then it's not clothed yet. And it might be fine. You might send them away, it might be fine. You might just say, you know what, just keep biting on the gauze, go home, throw it away in 20 minutes, it's probably gonna be fine. But it's those patients that end up continuing to bleed late into the night uh, that you have a problem. So what I would do in that situation, is get a surgical suction here and just hold I, myself. Sometimes the nurses don't have the dexterity for this. I'll hold it just over the edge of the socket and I'll just see how much is that pulling, how much blood is that pulling out of the edge of the socket. And if it's not really lifting up, then I know that it's pretty secure and solid in that socket. If it's immediately suctioning away and I'm seeing bone in the base of the socket, then I know that blood isn't taking. So I'll suck all that blood away. And then I'll get another wet gauze and place it on top. And I'll, I'll just say, look, wait in the waiting room for 15, 20 minutes. We'll check on it again. And that's the best thing to do at the end of the day. Just make sure that there's no active bleeding before you let them go. Later on, I'll, I'll get into a, an anecdote to explain why that's important and also why it's very important to have illumination and loops when you're looking at these sockets as well. But we'll go down that road. Uh, okay, sure. A so later the, on. The,
1: the, I agree with you. Get the patient to wait 50 minutes outside. And. and Actually, tell me if you do this routinely or not. it would be interesting mm-hmm. to know is, you know, the little um, surgical sponges, yeah. uh, you, you know, I, when I do my section, of I like to cut them into three, put them into each mm-hmm. root. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's more uh, effective than doing one whole sponge or whatever. Yeah. And then sometimes just suturing as well, doing like mm-hmm. a, a mattress suture. I'd like to do yes. like an X yeah. shape. Yeah. Yeah, Where does same. that come in yeah. in the pathway? Is it, is it better just to do the wait 15 minutes and you won't need a suture either? Or is it, uh, you know, some people might jump straight into the suture. Any advice on that?
0: Uh, that's a really good point, Jez. Like, the, if you're ever not sure, I always, I always err on, if I'm not sure, suture, I'd rather suture and not need it than need it and not have it. Let me put it that way. So, if it doesn't look like it's, the blood is stopping, then a suture is all, always worthwhile. The downsides to a suture are this. One, more food retention, plaque retention, and irritation to the soft tissues. And the, it might be a bit more uncomfortable and be a little tight, um, while the patient's healing initially. Uh, But the upsides are you drastically reduce the chances of um, further post-operative bleeding. So for sure, if you're ever not sure, it's always worth placing a suture. And the things I'd say about that are number one, please don't squeeze the the sponge and stick it into the socket because the whole point is you want that space in the sponge for the blood to imbibe mm-hmm. and fill and a lot of people squeeze these sponges and shove them into the root sockets and and then it's not doing anything it's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just sitting there and it, it'll just uh, fall out eventually so like you just said cut them cut them into shape and put sponge in each socket or if you have a large socket one or two sponges without squeezing them just gently place them into the socket so what I'll ask my nurse to do is or myself, I'll suction the socket uh, so that there's no blood in there. I'll place the sponge in, and that will allow the blood to infiltrate and and set within the sponge and then like you said correctly i think the best uh, suture is a cross mattress suture i tried to put that in as much as possible
1: i just call it like an x suture suture but it's called a, a, the, what's the proper term for it i don't
0: know. i've heard people call it an x suture yesterday um i was speaking to a periodontologist he calls it a cross mattress so cross mattress. basically okay, what, yeah, what you want that end that up with is a cross over the socket and uh, hopefully we'll have a video for you by the time this is uploaded of how to do one of those i'll, I'll just Find a way to do one tomorrow. Pick an unlucky victim, and they'll have a cross mattress feature, So Excellent. Um, uh, now,
1: now, w- with that, now, s- some silly questions that you, you know we want yep. to we want to just for for the young colleagues. With, uh, I'm put myself in a position less experienced. I'm thinking, could you? Is it ever worth just putting in the the, the sponges and then mm-hmm. leave, you know? And, and that's it no suture and then also just putting in the suture without the the, the sponge uh, just you know can you do either or because some people say oh i don't have the sponges or uh, mm. i do not have the time to suture uh, do we know about if all of those other things work or do we just have to do it together
0: if you don't have a suture and you only have a sponge then just place a sponge If or vice versa, if you don't have a sponge and you just want to place a suture, the thing about a suture is if you do that cross suture or if you if you don't want to do that, do two simple interrupted sutures, it's going to form a a lattice over the the top of the socket that will allow the blood to congeal on and clot and and uh, and form some kind of barrier. And on top of that, when the blood clot does form, those sutures are going to keep that blood clot in place or at least help a little bit. But, but really, yeah, I mean, we'd
1: hope all, all, all our colleagues, you know, have yeah, access to sutures and, and maybe I mean, <laughs> some some people who have access and just have been, you know, pe- out of practice. Sometimes, you know, you haven't done something in so long mm. that you all feel nervous doing it. And, and yeah, I, I would suggest yeah. that if you're in that category when it comes to sutures, it's mm. so, so important. Like I know everyone's doing like veneers and composite veneers and aesthetics, but, you know, we're dentists at the end of the day, right? The, the most basic thing is getting people out of, out of pain, removing yep. teeth. So it's always a good skill to just top up with the suturing and, and, and regain confidence in that.
0: Grab a banana, peel it, stitch it back together. That's the best way to learn. And it's it's very easy. You know, placing a suture is is very straightforward. Now, when you're placing a suture, the things that can get you flustered are a lack of vision. And if there's blood everywhere, that's going to make things difficult for you. So my three tips for suturing are number one, as much light as possible. And ideally, wear loops if you can, so you can see what you're doing. Number two.
1: Give us the, you know, what mag do you use? <laughs> Take a guess. 2.5. You seven point two.
0: All oh, right. Okay. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Seven, okay. That's 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 way <laughs> overkill, man. <laughs> it was. It was.
0: Way, I got it for restorative, um, yeah. and then as a there are the refract the Bryant refractives. And my nurse was like, "I bet you can't take a wisdom tooth out with those." And I was <laughs> like, "Yeah, okay. Hold my hold my caster. Let's see what happens." And every, I'm, adi- I'm addicted to it. You get addicted to magnification. The more of you course. go up, you just want more and more. So, yes. but yes, you can do oral surgery with seven point two times loops. Two point five five. When I was coming up, though, I wasn't using loops at all because if I wore loops, my maxvex consultants would laugh at me. They were collecting dust in my bag for years, and then one day, I, I, when I was working in practice, I left them on. And yeah, it's it's mainly the light, really. That's the thing that helps the most. Just having light, not having to angle a um, you know a chair light that's going to cast shadows and things that's um, going to mess up your vision. So. Definitely invest in loops if you're not using them. And I'm surprised by how many dentists still aren't. But um, it's going to save it, you it's, back it's, and it'll save your eyes. It's
1: true. So. And with the light comment, you know, Mr. McArdle, Austin McArdle taught me Back when I was a, a DCT at Guys, you know, if you can see it, you can remove it. If you can't see it, you yeah. Just, yeah. it's a bit. It's a bit like, and I often feel like this. Right, I, 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 I'm a little bit guilty of losing my wallet like a lot. Like, if my wife mm. listening to this, she'll be like, very, <laughs> she'll be laughing right now because I, it's a it's a thing in my family that I I just lose my wallet a lot. I'm actually gonna get one of those Apple AirTags and leave it
0: in my wallet. I have, I have one, one of those. <laughs> you have the same you problem. Have it in your wallet yeah. as well. My house is always beeping. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, stuff. I
1: know. I have one on my keys, right? My am one. Anyway, so it's a bit like when you're going into a bag, right? And I'm, and I'm just feeling around for my wallet in my bag, right? Yeah. It, it, it's it, it's hit and miss. Whereas I can mm. put, you know, shine my phone light in it, and then I'm much more mm-hmm. likely to find it. It's the same like that with teeth, yeah. right? When yeah. actually removing the, the that distal buckle root is so much easier and better if you get the seat position correct, the light, the magnification, it, it all matters.
0: To be honest, Jess, when <laughs> when I take teeth, out, I think to myself. How did I do this without loops? Like I have no idea what's going on. It's um I, but then the it's uh if you forget your loops at home, then that's the other problem. So uh maybe keep a backup Dependence. pair in the practice. I've got yeah, I've got three dependent. sets, man.
1: I've got three sets for this yeah. exact problem because if if I if I break one I've yep. got another one, and it's just—it's honestly, I I can't do it without it. So I, I had one day in practice, and like three mm. years ago, when I had had no loops, and it was like the worst. I said I never want this yeah. to happen again. So I invested big time. I've got three sets now.
0: I had to—I um, sent mine in for repair, and yeah, I, I had to go back to two point five. So I still had loops, but it was just like I felt blind. You get dependent on it, so and maybe every uh, now and then take a two not, not out without the much. Uh... <laughs> not
1: the worst kind of dependence in the world. So, so yeah. it's okay. Anyway, but we back, need back, our tools. On, yeah. back on tra- back, back on track. So you got the uh, no no no, please I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this. So the, we, we, the three we got points. The, st- the suture we got the suture in uh, and that's going to help and, and that should sort m- most of those scenarios out. So yep. let's let's say that that scenario's done. Now, before I talk about the one whereby everything looked good and then four hours later you get a phone call, which is what happened to me the other day, is there anything else you want to talk about that immediate management before we go into the? Well, other-
0: I, ju- I just want to go back onto two other tips with the sutures. So, like we said, magnification and light. Number two, very important. If you can't see what you're doing, it's bleeding everywhere. Suction everything, but don't just suction. Wash it out, rinse it out. A lot of people don't do this. It's bleeding, blood is clotting all over the place, the teeth are coated in blood, you're getting flustered. Get your three-in-one, no air, but just water, and just give it a good wash. Wash everything away so you have a nice, clean Okay, I'm so glad you, glad you said that. You
1: I'm so, so glad said that, because there's, there's a segment of the podcast some sometimes, sometimes do uh, called Am I Naughty If... And because mm. I've done this before, and I've got some videos on YouTube doing this, I, I, I do mm. that, right? And some people are like, wait, shouldn't you be using like sterile saline and stuff? <laughs> and I was like, oops, should, should you be always doing that? And I, and I discussed it with Chris, and he was a bit blasé about it. He was like, it's okay, don't yeah. worry. It's, you know, it's better than not, not using anything. Ideally, use sterile saline. Any any comments on that in the real world?
0: What, okay, <laughs> what do you think these people are going to do when they've left your practice? <laughs> yes, exactly. They're going to go, and they're going to you know have a a cup of water from a non-sterile bottle and they're going to have some tea and you know the mouth is one of the dirtiest things in our body so i I, i don't understand this thing of like i use surgical hand pieces always and i use saline when i'm when i'm doing that but when i'm washing the mouth out the three-in-one, the Alperon water is still better than whatever it is they're going to ingest later mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. So I, I feel better about I that. And fine. I've had
1: no complications yeah. in the last so no. many years of, of doing yeah. this. And it just makes sense. The mouth already is full. And, the, and yeah, that is cleansed water yeah. we're using. And it's yeah. probably I could go on a whole tangent
0: about all that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure there's
1: some people who might disagree with us, but yeah. um, I think we're more in tune with the real world. So that's fine. Yeah, uh, g- yeah. G- yeah we'll, Wash it out. So carry on with that point, sorry.
0: Yeah. So what, give it a good wash, uh, suction everything, and then you'll just have a clean field of view you can see what you're doing. And uh, third is don't get flustered. Take a break. If you find your heart rate elevating and you're not thinking straight, it's okay to just put a little bit of white gauze in, stop, and turn around, have a little bit of water, have a think, look at the x-ray, take a few breaths in and out. I still do it sometimes if I find myself getting a bit het up. And that's just going to help you focus more. And just remember, it's okay to be nervous and fearful because that's when your senses are most heightened so that's when you're going to be focusing the most just make sure you have a clear mind when you find yourself in that state because that's what fight or flight is it's focusing on the things that matter so those are my three tips for suturing and dealing with blood in the moment
1: amazing and you know if any specialty, any subspecialty that has resulted in elevated heart rate and, and adrenaline <laughs> is definitely oral surgery well, in, in yes. my experience anyway so so yes to- totally agree yeah. my friend okay so, so we've um, got the
0: tooth that sutures are in. Yeah,
1: yeah sutures are in, and then you know usually that, that that's fine. Anything on that before we then talk about the one that you know everything looked good, but then four hours later mm-hmm. you get the phone call. Mm-hmm. Or because usually, yeah. uh, I mean, we assuming the medical history is all clear. This is all assuming that there's you know, they're not on <laughs> two different types of uh, uh, you know, an antiplatelets and all that kind of stuff. This is all like the standard, you know, our yeah, daily yeah. normal yeah. patient, right? So this is that will usually just do the trick in my experience and your mm-hmm. experience as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Fine. So the, the the one that you took out uh, upper molar. And mm-hmm. everything looked great. Okay. You mm-hmm. took out the gauze. It, it looked amazing. looked like a nice jelly yep. clot. You don't even get any oozing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you warned the patient a little bit of oozing normal. Okay. And it's so yep. mix with your saliva. And sometimes it looks worse than that's it is it. and whatnot. Yep. But you get four, four hours later, you get a call saying, Yeah, it, it's still bleeding. Is this normal? And then the, the other day, the way I managed it is I said, Okay, well, um, did you bite on the gauze that I gave you? Because I always give gauze. And I'm sure that's the standard protocol, right? We should be giving gauze. And she said, Yes, I, I bit on it for two minutes and it's still bleeding. And I said, Okay, well, listen, you need to bite on it for 20 minutes. All right. Yeah. And then so she did that and that was it. Done. Right. OK, so the, yeah. n- no other issues. So I mm-hmm. called her back mm-hmm. a few hours later. Yeah, everything's fine now. So that was as simple as that. Any yep. other advice? Because in your roles in MaxFacts departments, or mm. surgery, etc., you're mm-hmm. probably speaking to general dentists and yep. um, giving them some advice. Uh, yes. And one advice that I have learned and given before is... The tea bag. Is, is t- tell us about the tea bag trick. Is it, is, it, is it legit? Do you, do you know about this?
0: Now that you, that's the first time I've heard of the tea bag trick in years, so I've never used the tea trick myself. And it's different from the, uh, the
1: tea bagging we would do at uni. Just, 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 just for those <laughs> guys who are just sniggering and laughing at the back, because it, it's completely different to, this is halo <laughs> tea
0: bagging and coagulation.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the tea bag trick, right? Which I've used with now. a few patients. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Just make a cup. I said, make a cup of tea. Right, make a, tea, a cup yeah. of tea, love. Take yeah. the tea bag out. Wait for mm-hmm. it just to cool a little bit, so it's still mm-hmm. still really warm. Maybe not hot, but really warm still. And then
0: bite on the tea bag. So my um, my instinct is not to do that because when you put anything warm in there, it's going to cause vasodilation, which we don't want. We want vasoconstriction. I wouldn't do that. Maybe a cold but, tea, but, bag? But, but, the, but
1: yeah. Well, but the, the reason, the, re, the rationale, yeah. what, what Professor mm. Brooke explained to me at the time—this was mm. years ago—is the tannins. It's the tannins yeah. that cause an mm. enhanced clotting reaction. And the few times I've had to advise this, and I call back, and you know, hey, everything's fine now, kind of thing. So it's it's work. It's it's supposedly a, a, a thing. Okay. Uh, it's not something that you would recommend usually at the moment. That's that, that's totally cool. So what are the kind of advice that you would be giving?
0: Well, now that you've said that, we have a lot of tea bags lying around the practice uh, from the nurses. So I'll ask them to stock them for uh, post-op. Uh, Obviously, no, it's um, something
1: the patients do at home. Everyone's got tea. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: No, um, yeah. I'm, I, might, I might try that. So let's rewind. So first of all, post-op instructions are so important. And I'll send you a link to my post-op instructions. I take out 20 teeth a day. So what I've done is recorded a YouTube video with my post-op instructions. No. Then I show them and send to them. And you you made a lot of really good points. So first of all, explaining what is bleeding to a patient, your socket's going to ooze. And the way I explain it is, imagine you put a little bit of Ribena in a glass of water and the whole glass turns purple. It's going to be the same with your mouth. A little bit of bleeding is going to cause a lot of red saliva. That doesn't mean it's, you know, it's pouring blood. It just means there's a little bit of oozing and that's normal. Bleeding is bright red clumps forming on the socket. And we've all seen it when they come back and there are these big bits of jelly over the socket. And you pick them up with your suction and they're all clumped together. That's um, that's proper post-operative bleeding. So it's, it's defining that to the patient, first of all. Uh, I advise people not to spit or rinse for 48 hours. I advise them to swallow everything. They can brush their teeth, uh, but let it just dribble out into the sink. Don't rinse and spit. And then after 48 hours, start gently swelling with salt water. You, you're stricter than
1: I am. For me, it's 24 hours, yeah. then you can start the insects. You're, 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 <laughs> you're stricter, but you know, I think it's better to be safer yeah. than, than yeah. that's fine. I like that. Yeah.
0: And then avoid sucking on anything. Straws. One, mm. one of the reasons not to... People say oh, I vape, is that Okay. Any suction is going to create negative pressure in the mouth that will pull out blood clots, so avoid sucking in any straw. A lot of people, there's this instinct, I've been operated on, I'm going to suck on a straw. Drink from a cup, avoid sucking in anything. And then it's, it's difficult dealing with people who like to spit. For some reason, it's come from their body, but it's suddenly disgusting to them and it has to be removed. So they just start spitting and spitting. And just explaining, the more you spit, the more it will bleed. It's counterintuitive, so trust me, please don't. And then, like... Like you said, make sure they understand that if they're going to use that gauze, make sure it's wet. So... When I was working at the Royal Cornwall Hospital, we used to do 48-hour on calls. So we'd walk in on Friday morning, we'd get handed the, the bleep, and we'd walk out on Monday morning. It was nice because in the winter, you'll get like one to two calls a night. In the summer, it was crazy because everyone fancies themselves a surfer or some kind of like mountaineering genius, and you just get loads of facial lacerations and things from scra- scraping the seabed floor, like falling, etc. Anyway, that, that's I'm digressing. But I got a call one night, and it was this patient who had a tooth extraction, and they were very distressed, and they were still bleeding. And they've tried; they've used the gauze. It's not working. Nothing's working. They're still bleeding. And I said, Did they okay. use a tea bag. They didn't use a tea bag. No. <laughs> <No, no, no. laughs> I, I find none. Like, um, I just, I just. So, so uh, I just said, "Okay, are you wetting the gauze?" No, 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 I'm putting it in dry. It's not wet at all. Okay, <laughs> wet the gauze, wring it out, bite down on it for twenty minutes, and I will. I will call you back in twenty minutes. Waited twenty minutes. Called them back. Yeah, it stopped. It sometimes it's as simple as that. They may not have actually listened to the instructions you've given them, so just be very clear with your instructions. And just like right? my
1: patient, they didn't and, yeah. do it for twenty minutes; they did it for two minutes no. or ten minutes. Exactly. And they,
0: yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, and they want an immediate result. And and the other the other thing to bear in mind is sometimes you will come across people who are undiagnosed, um, you know, hemophiliacs or um, who suffer from thrombocytopenia or von Willebrands or something. Um, just because it's not diagnosed doesn't mean there are people walking around there who don't have it. And you should treat every patient as though they may have a bleeding disorder that you're unaware of in the same way that we sterilize as though everyone has HIV. Look at every socket as if they have a bleeding disorder and be very wary because at the end of the day, yeah, you'll have 99% of patients who don't have any issues, but you'll have that 1% that really does have a bleeding issue that isn't going to be managed locally or through following your post-op instructions. And with does the, with the volume
1: seen. of patients that you've seen over the last 10 years and uh, extractions yeah. that you've done, I'm just interested to know, has, has this happened to you firsthand whereby they, they just kept bleeding and then you figured out, actually, yeah, you've got something going on?
0: I'm trying to think Not that I can, nothing, no one springs to mind. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's reassuring. It is rare. I love your point that you have to be, you know, keep your mind open to it. And then, so should you give all that advice of the, uh, Mm. of the gauze, wet it 20 minutes and it's still Mm -hmm. not uh, happening, then usually if you're, if you're open, like if this was like a a. 9am extraction and you're still there at 4pm, they can always come in and you can
0: maybe suture it at that point. That's, uh, that's the next point I was going to make. Try and schedule extractions in the morning if you can. Uh, So don't don't book an extraction at five o'clock at night on a Friday if you can avoid it typical. unless it's that's the one that's going to always go yeah 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 well or if you do have an on-call service or have an agreement with a local practice have a, a you know a group of practices get together and say right this is our on-call rota etc so patients have somewhere to go if there's an emergency one of the practices i work in in birmingham is 24 7 7 days a week i don't think they have been closed once for like 30 years even through covid this guy figured wow. a way to keep running which means that if there's an issue, a patient has access all the time. Now, not every practice is going to run like that, but give them an option. Um, no one wants to go and sit in an A&E for three hours um, waiting for the max MaxFax SHO, unless they have to. So it's always worth having a, a plan. But if you don't have that, try and schedule the extractions early in the day, and ideally early in the week, because their bleeding issue might not occur until the next day or a day after that. So, yeah, just try and tactically place your extractions in your diary. And and so with that patient who continues to
1: bleed, and despite you saying, you know, uh, bite on the gauze, make sure it's wet, be 20 minutes, and, then, and they continue to bleed. I mean, there's really two ways to say that. Okay, now go to your hospital and, and get seen by the local maxillofacial to assess you because you shouldn't yep, be bleeding. Yep. Uh, at mm-hmm. that point, we can talk about hostile management, you know, tranexamic acid, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I- is it worth at the maybe four or five hour mark to then bring them in? Numb, numb them up again, and then suture. It could be because you hadn't, because you didn't need to, you didn't feel like you needed to at the time. Is there merit in that? Is that something that you would do in a hospital when you when you have a bleeder like later yes. on? Yes,
0: that's the first line. So, and the thing is, like like we were saying earlier, if you practice suturing, you can do it. Look, like, I don't mean to be. Sensitive or preachy, but these guys in hospital are dealing with mandible fractures. They're dealing with, you know, inpatients with cancer, all sorts of things. The last thing, or they're dealing with huge facial lacerations. The last thing they need is the dental extraction socket that needs stitching that the D- GDP could have dealt with. Uh, but you've gone and added that to their enormous list of things to do. Unless you're in Cornwall, we have nothing to do. Send, send all your patients <laughs> to the Royal Cornwall Hospital. Now I'm joking. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you don't want to, like, unnecessarily burden Maxfax SHOs. So yeah, you know, you're still in practice. The patient's still bleeding. So what I'd say is, like you said, get them in. Give them some local anesthetic. Irrigate and suction everything until the socket is clear again. Clearly, something's gone wrong with the formation of that blood clot in the socket. So just clear everything out. Don't be precious about leaving whatever's in there. in, And then place your sponge, suture. And just from that point, I mean how, how can you promote more how can you promote more bleeding
1: at that point how you know well, sometimes you, uh, you want to create more bleeding
0: like you say, always curatage your sockets jazz very important absolutely've you've mentioned that point before on your mm-hmm. podcast, and mm-hmm. um it's underrated however, I'll tell you a story about curataging sockets that led me <laughs> to just some hot water so and a tip I learned as well after that. I'd, I'd watched one of your podcasts, and you'd reminded me that it's very important to curatage your socket. So I'd removed the lower left six with a very large abscess underneath it. So I was curetaging away all this, um, all the tissue and everything that was left behind. Everything was going really well. I was very pleased with myself. I was twenty minutes ahead on my diary, and until I noticed a little pumping and thing coming from the base of the socket. And what had happened was, by, after curetaging, I'd hit an accessory vessel. Uh, that it found its way uh, superiorly into the socket. And and this wasn't just a little ooze bleed. This was actually like an arterial bleed from an accessory vessel. Now, when I saw that, there's there's a few different ways you can manage this. First of all, apply pressure. If that doesn't work, a tip I picked up... And again, uh, I, should be, I should probably be asking someone, am I naughty if I do this? But you can cut this out if, if you disagree. Ideally, use a diatherm to cauterize it if you can. If you don't have that, if you have any bone scrapings, try and plug the hole with that bone and then apply pressure. If you don't have the ability to do that, then get a a ball-ended burnisher, heat it up on a flame, and use that to cauterize. Press it down on on the bleed, and that will cauterize it. And I've, I've used that trick twice now, and it's worked quite well. So that's how you'd manage something like that. And if you don't think that you're getting any luck with that, then at the end of the day, you've got to call the ambulance because... This patient needs to be seen ASAP for diatherm. You don't want to leave that. It'll ooze a little bit initially, but what you'll find is the patient will wake up with a mouthful of blood later when you have these arterial bleeds. So don't mess around with those. If you're seeing pumping blood and you can't control it, that needs to go to the hospital for a diathermy. Amazing tip. I think someone
1: is going to listen to this, and then some years later, they're going to face this. Because that could happen to anyone, right? Mm, uh, yep. And it's not happened to me yet, but it's so great to hear you say that mm. and how, how you say it cool. And so you did the you did the, the heated instrument trick, yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So heated up a ball-ended burnish here, carterized. End of story, no problem.
1: See, so, I don't uh, even know what a diathermy looks like. like it, it does it look um, like like electrocautery or...?
0: Uh, very similar so it's, it's like a little pincer uh, and when they come together they just zap uh-huh. they zap around and uh, and they they cauterize them when so you'll um i mean if you've done a max maxfax job they use it all the time when they're doing neck dissections and things mm-hmm. funnily okay, enough I um mm-hmm. after i'd done all this i was tell- i was speaking to the principal later and i was like yeah so this happened and i cauterized it etc and she was like oh we, we have a diatherm." It, it's in the, it's in the cupboard at the back we never use it like it, i don't know why i bought it and i was like oh, that would have been good to know two hours ago never mind so yeah also be aware of what equipment you have in the practice and but but i'm so glad and, that you uh, were able to, to share that
1: tip you know i mean if i'm just yeah. putting myself in in your shoes at that point i, I wouldn't have thought of that to use the heated instrument so i've learned something mm. for sure there. that's that's, mm-hmm. that's an amazing tip and maybe one day i'll need i need to use it obviously you have to be safe about how you do this and stuff yes vital
0: structures etc caveat ID nerve and canal mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. ID artery, do not do that in that location because you may end up damaging the nerve. Yeah. Um, if you have a bleed from the ID artery, just try and get as much pressure as possible. And, that's, and that needs to go to the max to be uh, microsurgically dealt with. You don't want to end up causing um, a numb lip uh, by yeah. using that tip. So this, this is for accessory vessels where you're nowhere near any major nerve uh, mm-hmm. that you're aware of okay great um so in terms
1: of because i want to keep this very much uh, real world clinical i think we've done that in, mm-hmm. in our chat and I, and I had a good time mm-hmm. chatting with you um anything else you want to add just on this topic because i'm glad we didn't go too much into the the whole medicines. because initially we were talking about yeah. uh we were too and about i've been revising the SDCEP for days I know, in preparation sorry, for this sorry but uh, you know uh, you're welcome at the same time because now you're <laughs> yeah. so hot on that and, that, yeah, and that's know, great yeah. <laughs> and 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 i had this like you know this this thing about half i was speaking to my wife I was like yeah i'm going yeah, yeah. on the podcast and we're going to talk about this and She was saying, "Oh yeah, that'd be good," and yeah, then talk about heparin. And in my mind, the Mm -hmm. uh, heparin—the last time I saw a patient taking heparin, I I mean, that's not real. That's not exactly. So I think what we've covered, the ground we've covered in the last, you know. 40 minutes is going to really really help the, mm. the majority of dental practitioners uh, and not just the whole more hostile kind of stuff which maybe we'll bring you back for a part two i think uh, so if you guys would like yeah, to see a part two to please uh, comment below and let us know if you'd like to see a mirror again who's been absolutely mm. brilliant and, and i like your real world attitude and, and, and sharing uh, the anecdotes and stories oh, which has been you. great um how, how can we follow you on instagram on social media that kind of stuff
0: yeah, so on Instagram it's Doctor Bocus, and you can put a text. Up Is that Doctor dot? Because uh, we'll put that on the season. Yeah, uh, just D O C T O R and then B O C U S, all one word. Bocus, on Instagram, and uh, I'm on www.referandxla.co.uk. dot uk, and I'm happy to come to your practice as well if you want mentoring and um, and work with you on your cases. Or well, you're always welcome to visit one of my sites, Um you know. There's no charge for that or anything. Please feel free to come along.
1: Oh, that is amazing. I'm, I'm, if there's any right out there anywhere near me and you you want to just bail your get your, uh, your confidence back up in distractions, you'd be a great mm. guy to to shadow and observe. And That's uh, my pleasure. What, what what you offer is it sedation and you know you could be the backup guy. You could be the sedationist and the backup guy, right?
0: I found myself in that position. So I'll I'll be sedating for dentists and they'll get a bit stuck. And I you know I don't, I don't like to be a backseat dentist I, until someone asks for my help. I'll be in the corner just looking at my uh, pulse ox and then, um, rate, pulse rate. Um, but yeah, sometimes people have needed help, and I'm happy to guide people. And just you know, sometimes you you'll be using an instrument wrong. You just won't be, you know what? You won't be looking at the bigger picture, and a little tip will help. For example, one of the people I sedate for in Oxford. Whenever I take a tooth out, I'll give my anesthetic, and then the first thing I'll do is get my probe, and I'll use that like a luxator and do Mm. like a six-point chart around the tooth. I do the same thing. I'm so glad I was saying this. Press it in. It will start bleeding, uh, it will start socket dilation, and it will also help me identify where are those points that I can sneak my luxator in, where, where are my luxation points, and I'll find little pockets and things through that. And you know, I gave them that one tip and their principal called me a week later and they said, you know, he's been using that for all his extractions and it's completely changed everything for him. And that, and it's such a little a little tip that you'll pick up on. So, and I, I get all kinds of little tips myself, just watching oral surgeons and MaxVax consultants. So we all need to talk to each other and you know, always be prepared to learn and receive. It doesn't matter how high up you are or how far along you are in your career. You're always learning. I'm still doing courses. I watched um one of your previous podcasts guests the chap who does the wisdom tooth course Chris, oh Nikki, oh, Nikki jamal yeah yeah, yeah. Amazing and guy. i'm d- i'm watching his course and i'm you know I, I do so many wisdom teeth but i'm just picking up on so many things that he does differently to me and how he analyzes things and i just love you know, listening to his voice man yeah. It's just he's just yeah, such a he's cool, a guy very to cool voice <laughs> <laughs> he's so cool man. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to yeah. you Nikki, once again for, yeah. for, for just always oh, just <laughs> no, leaving yeah. such a
1: positive impression with everyone
0: <laughs> his course is awesome i'd recommend that to a lot of people totally. um totally uh, so, yeah, but in, in summary, uh, what I'd say is that key things are, uh, if in doubt, suture, um, you know, practice suturing and uh, stay calm and just make sure you have a nice, clear, clean field of view by irrigating and suctioning as much as possible. Um, so and make sure you have main, your backup
1: gal or guy yeah, uh, nearby. Yeah, make right? sure you have a mentor
0: nearby who yeah, can uh, help you out. Yeah. That's it. Amazing. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Uh, Jess. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, there we have it, guys. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you want to get some CPD, you just have to answer a few questions on the app. You know this already. The website is Protrusive.app. It's also an Android or iOS. I think the best way, the the least buggy way would be the web app, basically, Protrusive.app. Sometimes because my videos are so big, and the reason I have those videos hosted on the app is they can download it for offline use. But sometimes if if you're going through a lot of it and strolling through a lot, um, it can be a bit sluggish, basically, because the videos are just so big. So you always have the option of visiting visiting it on the web app or on the official app uh, on Android iOS, the login is the same. I want to thank our guests again, Dr. Amir Bokus, for a lovely chat. I wanted to thank Team Protrusive for their hard work on this episode. So that's Erica Alan Benitez, the producer and editor. Rakesh Singh, who did the premium notes for this episode. And Marie Benitez, who's in charge of CPD. Oh, and if you want to check out Neki Jamal's wisdom tooth course, which both me and Ali have done, we highly recommend. Check out protrusive.co.uk forward slash third molars online. That way you get 15% off using the coupon code protrusive. And this is an affiliate link. And the whole time I've been recording this intro outro, I've been distracted. My son has literally woke up early today and he's trying to not be a nuisance in the background. uh, But he's just about made it. uh, So sorry if there was any blips in the sound while I was recording this. Uh, I'll catch you guys same time, same place next week.